you can turn me on there and let it run while you do your copying. All right, Brenda, are you finished? Pastor Leachman is carefully waiting for you to hand him that. Who is sitting there? No one. Okay. Here, you'll probably like to have that, maybe. Take it. Oh, sorry. Okay. Now, we're going to get, I told you each night I was going to give you an example of some of the textual issues we have um, that we don't like to talk about. And frankly, pastors don't talk about it because of the fear of instilling a distrust in God's word. And I think that's a little upside down. Um, I think knowledge is always, leads us, truth is going to lead, <laughs> knowledge is going to lead us to wisdom and, and uh, I think we can handle it. And so that's why we're doing this study and doing some of these exercises so that we can not question God's word, but so that we can um, believe it better. Uh, if, if that's, other than just rhetoric to say, to sing the Bible stands. Um, and to just insist on it. Well, the Bible's been challenged. And in our day, it's been challenged not only from outside the camp, but from inside the camp of Christianity. And that's why we need to be able to address some of these challenges and to just stick our head in the sand with certain mantra on our lips and never be able to examine what is going on uh, is not really gives us any capacity to build trust within our community and also, it struggles to be able to reach out beyond our community. So tonight, we're going to address a basic Sunday school lesson. And so we're going to have a series of verses, so I invite you to get your Bibles out. And I know this is a little unfair to the people in the back row. Please copy quickly, and as soon as you're done, just set it down on the ground, and I'll get those afterwards. Um, so I'm going to invite you to uh, turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. And the last week we talked about Esther as our example. The week before that we talked about Genesis in the early chapters about the uh, lineage of Shem um, and how we found 600 years of time there. And then the book of Esther, how we found, in fact, God's name is mentioned in the book of Esther and his prayers. By the way, if you want to go and sit with your spouses or friends or people, avoid people you don't like, you can do that now. This will be a time to move if you want to move around. Okay, uh, But we, we come to Exodus chapter 12, and uh, we have a statement of fact. And these are where we sometimes get tripped up because we are um, a lot of times ignorant of all of what God's Word declares. And uh, sometimes it might appear that we have conflicts, and so we have people that are explaining them away, and that is always dissatisfying to me. Uh, and I think probably to many of you too. So let's go ahead and read uh, here in Exodus and uh, chapter 12, verse 40. So now, now the sojourn of ch- the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. That's in the New King James. Pastor Leachman, you have that in the King James? You want to read that for me? I'm sorry, you're copying, but that's okay. You're not in a hurry because no one's waiting on you. Someone got in the King James. Someone other than Pastor Lee. I just know he has it on his computer there. Nobody? Okay. Just the King James. I read out of the New King James. you have the King James with you? Exodus 12.40. Go ahead, Josiah. I'll read it for us. 40. 
All right, so how long was Israel in Egypt? What do you got in your Bible? 430 years. 400, oh, bad pen. 430 years we have recorded for us. Okay, and you'll hear this, and it's in our Sunday School material. It is common knowledge. It'll be in trivia questions, Bible trivia questions. Um, It's even in the movie The Ten Commandments at least three or four times. They talk about the fact that they've been there 400 years. Um, They talk about 400 years of slavery, over 400 years of slavery. We know that wasn't true. But it says they sojourned, that is, they were there um, from the King James. And it's not just the King James, New King James, by the way. Um, If you go to some of the Bible software, you can look up all of the 50 versions that are built out of the Masoretic text, and they'll all say that the same thing. 430 years, Israel sojourned in, in the land of Egypt. So we have a statement of fact. Now we have some other statement of fact also in your Bible. So let's look at that statement of facts very quickly. Let's go to the book of Exodus. Let's go to Exodus chapter 6. Let's back up a little bit. Let's look at a genealogy here. Let's look at the genealogy of Moses and Aaron. And we're going to pick up that genealogy with... um, We're going to kind of do this a little bit backwards, I think. Let's go... Let's do it backwards. Let's do it from who we know to who we don't know. So let's start with chapter 7, verse 7. How old was Moses when they left Egypt? According to... Chapter 7, verse 7, he's 80 years old. So he had been in captivity 80 years, correct? So in Egypt, Moses lived all of his life up until the, the Exodus was 80 years. All right? Now, let's back this up and look at uh, Exodus chapter 6, verse 20. Um, Amram took for himself Jochebed, his father's sister, as wife, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were how many? 137 years was the life of Amram. This is Moses' life. This is Amram's life. 137 years. We're not talking about how long between when they give birth. We're not given that information in this genealogy um, of what age he was when he had Aaron, what age he was when he had Moses, or if they, you know, in what circumstances. So we just know that Amram himself lived 137 years. Now let's back up to verse 18. And the sons of Kohath were Amram, and then some other guys. And Kohath lived how long? 133 years. So that's Kohath. Lived 133 years. Now let's see who's his, was it Kohath, right? Kohath, yeah. So who is Kohath's father? Gershon Kohath of Levi. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, and Miriam. Now, turn with me to Genesis chapter 46. In Genesis chapter 46, we have the list of everyone who arrived in Egypt with Jacob. You ready? So let's pick up in verse 11. 
The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Now jump down to verse 26. I'm going to kind of skip through. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body, besides Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. So, who arrived in Egypt from Canaan? Kohath was part of the 66 people who originally arrived in Egypt. Now, mathematicians, do we have 430 years represented in those three generations? Even if Kohath was born in Canaan and traveled there his first year and lived his entire year time in Egypt, and on his deathbed, Amram was born... <laughs> And on Amram's deathbed, Moses was born. What is the longest period of time that they could have been in Egypt, according to our Bible? Yeah, that's 350 years. What happened here? We got a problem. We have, within our own text, a disagreement. So our genealogy disagrees with this statement, this declaration. It's in our Sunday school material. It's what we all believe and we're taught 430 years in Egypt. Um, They sojourned there. And so we have a discrepancy. Now, 350 would be the very longest. Obviously, it's got to be less than that because Amram doesn't seem like he died right after he gave birth to Moses. And same thing with Koath, and especially when these guys are sometimes Koath is the firstborn. And we don't know what age Kohath was when he arrived in Egypt. We're not told that. And so 350 is the longest their sojourn in Egypt could have been. Just built upon your own Bible, you have a discrepancy now. Now here's how we've done it before. We've said, well, these are just general genealogies, and they sometimes skip generations. And that's where we just fudged it and said we, we come up with the numbers. We just fudge it and say, well, they just representative generations, not actual generations. Now, I don't know how many of you have known Jewish, what the Jewish people think of genealogies, but they are fanatical about them. Even to this day, they are fanatical about them. And this isn't a likely mistake. And so now we're confronted with, okay, we got... A factual declaration, another factual declaration that don't seem to agree with each other. we got to do something. Well, let's keep pressing on. And let's look at a little bit more and see why maybe the early church fathers didn't have this problem. Let's go to Galatians. You say New Testament? Yes, Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, and this is where it got me into starting of the trouble anyway when we went through the book of Galatians. In chapter 3 of Galatians, I invite you to read through verses 16 and 17, because we also have a factual information given to us that correlates with this number. And so let's look at these numbers and see what Paul says happened. It says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say into seeds as of many, but as of one into your seed who is Christ. Verse 17, And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. 
For the inheritance is of the law, is no longer promised, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So now we are back to what number? 430 years. Well, here's that number. Did, was Paul confused? Well, does he say from the time they went to Egypt till the time of the Exodus was 430 years? No. What does he say is 430 years? From the promise to Abraham. So now we're going to erase those numbers. We're going to, um, maybe I should have kept those. We know that they're uh, 80, uh, 137, 133, right? And so we know that these are Moses and his predecessors. All right, so from Abraham, and how old was Abram when he received the promise? He was 75. He was 75 years old. And he received the promise. All right. And uh, when was it imp- completed? How old was he when he got the, the first seed? He was 100. All right. So we know that he had the seed at 100. And so this is the birth of Isaac. Is that 100 years? So now we have 25 years here. All right. Um, so let's uh, just take a little journey through the genealogy here. Um, anybody know how old Isaac was when Jacob was born? 60. Okay. So, Isaac, when he turns 60, gives birth to Jacob and Esau. Okay. Big important number. So now we have this span is 60 years. Okay. So we're moving along. Now, how old was Jacob when he went, how old was Jacob when he went to Egypt? How long did he live? Anybody know? Okay, I I didn't, I had to look all these up too. So Jacob was 130 years old. So from Abram to Egypt, according to our genealogies and the information given to us in the Old Testament, and I'm abbreviating some of this because we just took a little longer copying than I thought. Um, How many years do we have? 215 years in the land of Canaan. Now, What does that leave for the time in Egypt? 215 years. If Paul is correct, and from the, from the promise, from the covenant, to the law, and the law was at the end of the time in Egypt, then for 215 years they were in the land of Egypt. Now, Does the genealogy of Moses fit into this? Sure. 350 was the most. 215 is certainly less than 350 and more reasonable in terms of when they had their kids. If Abram was considered pretty old when he had it at 100, um, it's reasonable to think that these men probably had their kids 60s, 70s. And so three generations would get you right around 215 years in Egypt. Were they enslaved that whole time? No. No. And that's going to come out in another pack of verses 
that they weren't slaves for 430 years. They sojourned in Egypt, um, but really um, what Paul says is from the this to that is 430 years. So let's look at a, another text that has often been used to uh, deal with that. So let's go to, back to Exodus chapter 1. No, yeah, Exodus chapter 1. I'm getting going so fast, my head is starting to get. Exodus comes right after Genesis, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. Boy. Yeah. Oh, no. Don't mess me up like that. Exodus chapter 1, verse 6. And Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied, grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So, how long is this? So 215 years we have that they were in the land of Egypt if Paul was right. And that lines up with the genealogy that is in your text. So, um, how old was Joseph when we get there? Anybody have an idea? Not when he arrives in Egypt. Not when he's, all right. He was sold into slavery, okay. And he has all the experiences there. So, um, let's go to Genesis. Let's look this up, since there's a little question. Genesis 45. Let's go to Genesis chapter 45. Let's find out what the Bible says. In Genesis 45, verse 6, it says, For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. So we're not counting when Joseph arrived in Egypt, But what age was he, which, by the way, was 30? There were seven years of plenty, remember? And then two years later, his brothers get, bring, and that resolution happens, and he says, go back and tell Dad there's still five bad years coming, just come to Egypt. So how old is Joseph? He's 39 when his family shows up. So at 30, when Joseph is 39, is when Jacob arrives in Egypt. So we know that we have to have the rest of Joseph's life, and then we have to have probably a generation left before Pharaoh comes and doesn't even know who Joseph, doesn't know Joseph. That doesn't mean he doesn't know about him. It's just that he doesn't recognize him as authoritative. All right, and so how long does Joseph live? Well, in Genesis 50, you're right there. So let's turn over to Genesis 50, verse 22. Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived to 110 years. So Joseph lived till he was 110 years. We know that Moses spent his entire life there, and so we have 80 years, and we know that they were imprisoned, enslaved by then, right? Because they tried to kill Joseph when he was a newborn. 
So we know that they were enslaved for at least 80 years. Well, now we subtract 39 from 110. What do we get? <laughs> 71 years. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just pulling myself. So we have 71 years of Joseph's life in captivity out of this 215. And so the captivity of the slavery itself, um, if we take the 71 away from that, we end up with, what, 144 years maximum of slavery, 80 years minimum of slavery that Israel experienced. Now, why is all of this working? i got one more passage I want to deal with because this is one that's brought up often. And let's go to Genesis 15. Because this is a prophetic statement. And so the prophecy, some people say, well, that doesn't correlate with the others because the other passage says to the day and that it was specifically to a day that we were supposed to be looking at. So let's look at Genesis 15, verse 13. If you've got it there. This is God's. And so then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. So, they will be strangers. Here's what we find out, and I'm going to put up here. They're going to be strangers. They're going to be afflicted. And what else does it say? Um, something else. Something else happens during those 400 years. And serve. Okay. So, they say, well, that's the time in Egypt. Well, not according to Paul, not according to Flavius Josephus, which is a first century historian that is, that is incredibly accurate in his work, um, and not according to, guess what? The Septuagint. That Greek, old Greek translation of the Hebrew that's older than your base text for the King James and, and really all modern translations of the Old Testament, including Catholic Bible, doesn't matter, all of those. You get away from the Orthodox Church and the Septuagint, all of them will say that Israel was in Egypt for 430 years. The Septuagint adds two words to our base verse. You know what those words are? Egypt and Canaan. Two words. Dropped. Any of you dropped two words in the, your text? Copying? Some of you lost. <laughs> Some, did somebody drop two words on your two? Or one word? Yeah, it's pretty important. Um, two words, and Canaan. The root verse that we started out with in Exodus 12.40, let me read it to you again, and let me just add two words. Exodus 12, verse 40, reads this. With those two words added. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt and Canaan was 430 years. Which exactly agrees with Paul, exactly agrees with the Septuagint, exactly agrees with the Samaritan Pentateuch which was written between the Septuagint and the writings of Paul, somewhere in there, about 100 before Christ. 
Um, and uh, so we have four agreements that it was supposed to be Egypt and Canaan. And that, in fact, Israel was really only in the land of Egypt 215 years and was really only in bondage for about 180 to 140 years. Probably closer to the 80, about 100 years. And by the way, that 100 years is, is an important period of time for God to deal with people. Um, I find it consistently in God's word, 70 to 100 years, 110 years. And so we find this, well, where does this 400 years come from? Because it says 430, which one is it? Is it 400 or 430? Is God's word that precise? Yes. Because this isn't about the giving of the covenant. That's not what that verse is talking about. That last verse is talking about when the affliction started. And when did the affliction in a strange land in which they are serving begin? And it began on one day. We know the day it began. The Bible says it began the day that Isaac was weaned. Now, according to Jewish scholars, you're supposed to wean your kid at five years old. In Jewish world, that's the proper time to wean your child. Practice was from 18 months to five years old, but five years old was the preferred weaning age. So, Jacob lived 25 years, had Isaac. Isaac was five years old, and something happened on the day he turned five, and that was the affliction started from whom? His half-brother. Were they a stranger in a land? Yep, land of Canaan. It wasn't theirs by right yet. Um, were they afflicted? Yes, sir. And so the, every one of these scriptures lines up. Once we add two words to your modern translations, all based upon the Masoretic text that dropped those two words. And remember, the Masoretic text was in the 11th century, 1000. Talking about 1000 AD, it was it was 1100, 1200 years later than the Septuagint, and they dropped two words, and because of that, all of our Sunday school lessons are saying we were Israel was in Egypt 430 years. No, they were strangers in the land, and you know Abram was a stranger there, right? He had to make deals to bury his wife. Right? He had to buy a field to bury his wife. He was a stranger. Somebody else's land. And the affliction started upon his son Isaac when he turned five at his day of his weaning. And that, whether he was weaned early or not, that's the official day of weaning. And so we have, take 30 away from 430 and we get 400. And so scripture is precise. We can trust these numbers um, and instead of fudging generations, I mean, how would you like to, uh, God's word only gives you every other generation. So we call for it. No, we don't have to do that kind of injury to God's word. But we need to have an expanded understanding of God's preservation that it's not just in one tree. And we need to examine all of the trees a little bit and, and bring them together and, and create a stronger and better uh, fuller word, not that we're adding to it, 
or subtracting from it. We are just perfecting it, and God has given us all these resources to do that. And so the Orthodox Church, this is one of their big things they laugh about because um, the Jews say that they were in Egypt for 430 years. Why? Because Judaism is built off the Masoretic text, not the Septuagint, because they rejected it as soon as the church accepted it. As soon as the church started using the Septuagint, the Jews says, bad, we're going to go back to the Hebrew, we're not going to use the Greek, it's bad. They blamed the Septuagint for the rise of the cult called Christianity. This is one of the things they blamed. And so they abandoned it. So the Septuagint has never been used by both Jews and the church simultaneously as official Bible. It went right from being Jewish to being Christian. But it's still our oldest copy and uh, translation of the oldest Hebrew that we have available to us today. And this is another example of what's missing. And you guys know I'm willing to go out there. And we did this with the crossing of the Red Sea. It wasn't in the Sea of Reeds, it wasn't any there. You have to cross out of Egypt into Midian, and so it had to be the Gulf of uh, Aqaba. Thank you. I, I want to call it the other Gulf because that's what Israel calls it. Um, so we have the uh, here factual information where the Masoretic doesn't agree with itself. And the New Testament doesn't agree with the Masoretic. Josephus doesn't agree with the Masoretic. And so we need to fall back and say, well, instead of sitting there defending and trying to fudge numbers, we need to be willing to expand our understanding of preservation of Scripture that it is, and stop being so uh, ethnocentric that, we, that we, only our little group has that kind of uh, preservation work going on it, that Holy Spirit only works in one group, but rather we see the Holy Spirit active, and now we have even more reason to trust. Look, look, you have more reasons to trust all these genealogies. You have more reason to trust Galatians. You have more reasons to trust the prophecy in Genesis to Abraham. They're all exact. And if you see God using those kinds of exact numbers, I mean, he split this land of Cain, land of Egypt in half. Perfectly. When he says they sojourned in the land of Egypt and Canaan, it was even. This is how trustworthy God is. And so when we read prophetic information and he uses precise numbers, um, you better believe it. It's going to be then. And that's why some of these passages say, to the day. God kept his word, to the day. He's measuring it by days. Not fudging a century here and there. Or skipping a couple generations. No, God is faithful in all of it. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word and for its fullness and for your work of the Holy Spirit to bring it to us. And we, we thank you for the traditions that um, have kept your word through these centuries. And Lord, we are recognize that it really is arrogant for us to think that there is just one. Uh, tradition that is is always right. And Lord, we pray that we might be willing to search your scriptures, not just our English translations, but uh, uh, back into uh, these others as well. And we thank you for those that have brought these things out to our attention. And we pray that rather than resisting it or being stiff-necked to it, that we might 
endorse it, embrace it, and then recognize, oh, Lord, you're so faithful. And we can trust you even more. And we thank you for your word. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.